there's a real connection between love and Christmas. As a matter of fact, it's not unusual at all these days for a couple to get engaged or, or even to get married. Over the years, we, we've had a, a lot of big weddings here during Christmas. We've also had a, a number of, of big productions in terms of, uh, of a man proposing to, uh, to his wife. It's always funny to me uh, when, I, when I get this time of year, it's, it's often that my inbox will become to be full of, of young people asking me if I would do the wedding. I always like the ones of those who have faith, especially the young guys who, who email and say, look, she hasn't said yes, but I'm going to ask. I just wanted to get this on your calendar. Is that okay? And I always love to put back, I love your faith, man. I love your faith. But you never, you never know with all that, right? But, you know, you think about what the movie industry has done with love and Christmas, and they, they've made a bundle on it. Because what often happens in commerce and in entertainment is they take the, the, the things that, that make Christmas, there, there are parts of it, and then they tie to it a, a sentimental concept, and they pull that one out so that they can sell it and so they can use it. And as we begin our Advent series, as we begin this Advent season, what I want to do this year is I want to point to some of the, the real things of what, what makes Christmas what it is. And, and reveal, if we can, some of the sentimental attributes that exist in our culture and, and really look at God's Word and get beyond sentimentality. Get beyond this, this thing of what we buy and sell and see and sing so often and really see what is at the heart of Christmas. And our, our first candle that, we've lit, that has been lit today is, is the candle of love. It's the first candle that we will light for this Advent season. Love is powerful. Love is good. And until a person feels love and finds a way to express it in another, life is empty. And as soon as I say that, there are some who will say, yes, uh, there needs to be a man who seeks a woman and they become one and they're married and that, that, that's love and that's good. And, and I would say to you, yes, that, that is good, but that's not what I'm talking about. So I'm talking about something much better than that. Something much richer and so much fuller. And, and quite honestly, without the love I'm talking about, that, that love between that man and that woman in marriage can never actually be a, as full as it needs to be. What I'm talking about is experiencing the love of God and making it and having it for your own. And then expressing it back to Him fully as, as it has been expressed to you and thereby connecting your, your life, your existence, and finding life in His love so that it changes everything about you. So that it changes the way you love and the way you look at life. And when you have the love of God in the middle of your marriage, in the middle of your friendships, in the middle of your workplace, and wherever it is God leads you and has you, it makes it rich. It makes it full. God made us to love and to be loved. This was not some cosmic accident. This was divine design. The longing that exists deep within your soul was put there by God and it was put there to be filled by Him. That place in your life that is so dense, that is so wide, that chasm that is your soul is made for God. And until God is in your very existence, until God is the author of your life in Him, through His love, you will never be full. It makes perfect sense that the idea of love would be so closely connected with Christmas because 
it's, it's at Christmas, it's this time of year when we celebrate the rescue of God, when we celebrate how love came for us, to us, to be like us, that He might redeem us for His glory and for our blessing. We read about this in a lot of places. One of the most theologically rich places we all read this is in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, even though He was God Almighty, even though He was before all things, and by Him created all things, before there ever was time and space, there was God. And Jesus is God, and He was God, and will always be God. Though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He knew that we could not attain to it. We, he knew that we could not attain to that place where we experienced God fully. We could not get to God. So God came to us. But made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is why God came. This is how He rescued us. By taking on our sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. That is the gospel. This is why love came to rescue us, to save us from our sin. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is a prophecy and a promise. One day, every person ever conceived will stand before God Almighty and will proclaim Him to be Lord and Christ. But only those who are redeemed by His grace will do so gladly. And only they will remain with Him forever. All others will be forced. They will be required. And then they will be removed. But make no mistake. One day, all will know that Jesus is God. That He is King. That He is Lord. And every tongue will confess it. To the glory of God the Father. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is no sentimental small thing, friends. This is nothing to be taken lightly. This is powerful. And if you will, you can be moved by this. It is this moment in history when God came and changed everything. Now, to understand why this moment is so important, you have to understand the story. You have to understand reality. And, and we discover that through understanding Scripture. The Bible is one story. It's not a collection of things or little stories. It's a single story that explains reality and helps us get a grip on the longings of our hearts. Because every person, whether you're a Christian or not, every person longs for peace. Every Christian longs, every person longs for this, this place, this existence where everything is right. Do you ever wonder why? Have you ever wondered why everyone knows when, when it's, that it's wrong for there to be death and pain and suffering? If this is the way it's supposed to be, you would think by now we would all just say, oh, that's normal, we should just deal with it. But there's something inside of us that says, no, this is wrong. Why? The Word tells us that there's one God who created all things to be in what? Can you say it? To be in harmony. And because that harmony has been broken, 
we don't have peace, but we long for it. How? How did this happen? How was this harmony destroyed? Well, God created creatures that had the capacity to choose. He made image bearers, those who were made in His image, human beings, and He made angels. And the greatest of all the angels made the choice that he no longer wanted to worship God, but he wanted to be God. And so that divine, that, that being made of, of divine power, that devil, that one who became a snake that walked with angels' wings, that dragon entered into this fallen world. And he deceived that that blessed, beautiful creature made in God's image. And we have fallen. And we have turned against God. And having been given the authority to oversee God's creation, having now submitted ourselves to the evil one, He now has domain. He has dominion and control and power over this planet. That's why there is death. That's why there is war. That's why there is pain. That's why there are broken homes and marriages and minds and lives and bodies. It's because of sin. It's because of the destructive nature of the power of darkness. But God did not leave us. He did not abandon us to this darkness. Instead, the very day we fell... God made a promise that He would come and rescue us. And after millennia of prophecies, of promises, that God would manifest Himself in a, in a manger, of a, born of a virgin, that, that God Himself would become man, that He would be a wonderful counselor, that He would be mighty God, and that the government would rest upon His shoulders. Having made all these promises and more, Jesus showed up on Christmas Day. Our rescuer came to save His bride. Maybe a better way to understand the story and the way that it has been stolen is to understand that there was a dragon who, who came and, and stole the princess. But the king wanted the princess for the prince, and so the king sent the prince, Jesus, to go to that place where that dragon held captive the one he loved. And he slew the dragon by his own death on the cross. And he conquered death through his resurrection. And now that bride, the church, is his own. And one day he's going to return. And one day there will be a great wedding feast. And one day we will be with the Lord forever. Amen? That is the story of the Bible. That is the story of reality. That is what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. And what we celebrate at Christmas is the centerpiece of the story. It's the rescue operation of God Almighty who's come to save us and to set us free. What motivated the rescue was love. Do you know what love is? Do you know what it is to experience the love of the Almighty? You may. You may not. Today we're going to look at it. And we're going to give consideration as to whether or not it's a part of our life. And if it is, what are we doing with it? And if not, how maybe today this love will transform you. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. Just pull one out in the pew rack in front of you. And I'm going to ask the White family to come, and they're going to uh, read for us. Liberty is actually going to read for us. And so as they come forward, let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. I'm going to stand here and protect my iPad from Cohen, who tried to take it down last service. I liked it. It was a good, it was a good effort, but no way, brother. He knows there's games on there somewhere, right? Liberty, if you would, could you read for us 1 Corinthians 13? And I think you're going to begin in verse 8. Love never ends. 
As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I felt like a child. I didn't just like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. Good job, Liberty. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Tanya, so much. Do you like that windblown look on her face as she read the scripture? Very, very, very nice. We might do that for everyone. If you would, that's the word of God. Go ahead and be seated. Let's talk about this. Understand, this description we just read is, is not only a means to understand love, but a way to understand God. And the longing of your soul, and here's where I want you to really make application on this today, is as I teach this text, check time and time and time again with your soul and see if this is not the the, the very thing it's been longing for. And see, as, as it is explained today, if it will not truly satisfy the longings of your being, because I promise you, I promise you, it will, if you will believe. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the love of our souls. The love our souls long for, write this down, three things, is beyond words, concepts, and deeds. It's beyond those three. Many speeches are given by well-meaning people these days who want the world to be a better place. And so they stand and they speak and they say things and they inspire and many times they compel But words are not enough. There needs to be an experience. There's something that has to happen within us that goes beyond our minds and our capacities to see something. It says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. There are so many noisy gongs and clanging cymbals in our world today. So much communication. So many words, so little true meaning. There's so little that is out there that is being spread around and considered news. There's so much that's being sold and said that that does not spark the fire of our heart's desire for a divine love. And without love, it's just noise. Is your life Is it just full of noise? There's more. I promise you, there's more. There's not only a lot of speeches, there's lots of technology that provides access to things that that were once mysteries. You look in verse 2, though, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, does that mean I'll have it all? I mean, you think about the world we live in today. If you don't know, all you have to do is Google it. How many of you had an argument over Thanksgiving and solved it with Google? Show of hands. You don't have very interesting families. You need to argue more, right? But if you want to know, if I want to know something about anything right now, I can Google it. I can get all kinds of information. I can pursue a, a degree online. I can, I can earn education. I can, I can grapple with the mysteries of the world. But here's the deal. Even if I can fathom all the mysteries... Even if I can explain to you science and math and poetry and all these other things, if I don't have love, 
What do I have? There's lots of technologies. There's lots of speeches. There's even great faith. There are those who believe and they are seeing and they are showing God's power in ways that go beyond human explanation. I love to talk to physicians who understand reality and who see sick people come and they say prayers and they're never surprised when they see the Almighty do what their hands could not do and what no chemical could do. But friends, look at the Scripture. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. You see what he's saying? Look, you can have the greatest speeches in all the world. You can have the greatest technology in all the world. You can have faith that that changes the health of of an individual. You can move mountains. But if you don't have love, you have nothing. Because the deepest longing of your soul can't be met with a concept, with a word, with a deed. It demands so much more. It demands more than a cause. Look at verse 3. I give away all I have. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. There are those who live for causes these days, and it's a good thing. I'm all for the, for the, 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 the cure of cancer and the, the removal of AIDS. We all want that. We all want to see water taken to the, to the places where people can't get clean water. Yes, but, but will that do it? If we have a cancer-free, AIDS-free, disease-free, food-plenty, water-plenty existence, will that satisfy? Will you tell me you sit here, most of you today, with plenty of water and plenty of food, healthy enough to get to church, are you satisfied with just that? Of course not. You're made for more than that. You're made for a reality that is bigger than what you can talk about, what you can do something about, something that you can conceptually believe. I can, I can remember when, when our first child was coming. And oh, it was an exciting time. There were, there were words to describe this reality. You know, pregnant women have many words. And their mothers have words about the way things are going to be and, the, and what's going to be. And there's a lot of talk that was going on. There were concepts that were driven in. We're, we're academicians, and so we, we study this. We study concepts. We read baby-wise and raising kids God's way and shepherding a child's heart. My wife read all these books, and she's feeding me these concepts and these theories and, and these ideas about how to be a parent and what's going on. With, with, a, with a child. And then there were deeds. There were mighty deeds. There were things that were done. Great tasks like, like building a baby bed. Have you ever had to do that? That's misery. We had one. The one we had, it was supposed to be this thing where you could hit this little medical thing and you should be able to lift it up and it should stay. You know what I'm talking about? Where the baby so the thing. I could not get mine to stay up. I looked at the directions. I promise you I did. But I am challenged. I know. So I just nailed that sucker shut. Don't judge me. She lived. So there you go. But there were deeds. There were these great things. There were, there were words and concepts and deeds. But I'm going to tell you, when love showed up, there were no more words that were enough. 
There was not enough that could be done. There were no concepts that could contain that idea of this person in our lives. Changed everything. Our schedules, the way we spend money, the way we spend time, changed everything. And you know what? That child is precious and as powerful of an influence as, as that child has been in our lives. Nothing like the love of God. There's nothing like when God's love enters your life. Be careful because it will change everything. It will fill you. It will flow out of you. You will live hopeful. You will be helpful. It will change the way you spend time and money and your energy. You will find things happening in you that you never imagined. This is what you were made for. God designed you for this. The reason why some of you are empty today and not satisfied is because you are not filled with the love of God. And the reason why some of you are miserable today is because the love of God is living in you, but you keep ignoring it and pushing it away. And until you accept it and and live in it and delight in it, you're never going to live and you're never going to have life and your soul will never be satisfied. Second thing to realize, the love our souls long for is gracious, giving and revealing it's gracious. It says love is patient and kind. Just, I know you've read this before, but do me a favor. Read this right now, and I want you to, to personalize this. Imagine if these words described your marriage. Imagine being married to a person like this. Imagine all of your friends. Imagine your best friend being described by this. Imagine your siblings, your family. Let's get crazy. Imagine a workplace or a learning environment that is described by this, where there's love, where there's it's patient and kind, where love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Can you imagine what kind of marriage you would have if that was the love that described your life? Can you imagine a family filled with that love? Friendships and workplaces and learning environments? Friends, this is a divine love. This is not human built. This is not something that we can create on our own. This is something that only God can give in us and that will flow out of us. This is the only way we can truly live hopeful and be helpful. It's with the love of God. It's not only only gracious. It's something we can experience and share. It's giving. We can live this love. And when we have this love, our capacity changes. Look what happens when you have this love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Can you imagine being able to bear any burden that comes your way, any trial, cancer, I mean, think of your worst trial. Think of your worst nightmare, the death of your child, the death of your parents, the death of a dear friend, your spouse, the loss of of your vocation, the, the loss of all your possessions. What is your nightmare? And here's what I want you to know. The love of God is bigger and better and more powerful and will overcome. The love of God can bear any burden. It bears all things. It believes. When others would doubt. Believes all things. It hopes when others would despair. It it hopes all things. And look at this. It it endures when others would give up. 
the love of God enables you to endure. You can endure that difficult relationship. You can endure that pain and suffering. You can endure not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. You can endure any trial because of the love of God. Because your soul rests satisfied in the fact that the Almighty cares deeply about you, is in charge of you, and is working all things for good. Because God works all things for good for those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose, and it's revealing. The Gospel frees us to know this love. And what we know now is nothing compared to what we will know. In our text, verses 8 through through 12, we see a description, you know, It's this this analogy of growing up. He says, you know, I know, but one day I'll be fully known. I'm going to put away childish ways. And there's going to come a point in which I I will really get it. And there's going to come a day, and it's going to be glorious, when we're going to see love face to face. And it's going to be beyond anything you've ever hoped or imagined. Can you imagine an existence where there is no temptation to sin and there's no... There's no feeling of guilt or shame. Just complete freedom. To stand before God and imagine and delight in all that He is and all that He has done. This is what love does. This is what love will do. Last, the love our souls long for is abiding, glorious, and divine. Love this part. Love this part of the text. Verse 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. Faith, hope, and love. When they are of God and for the glory of God, when they are inspired by God in us, faith, hope, and love abide. Though they are often challenged, though it is there, there are times when it is difficult, faith, hope, and love abide. But of these three, only one will remain. There's only one that is the greatest. Why? But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because one day, if you have faith, your faith will become sight. Right now, you believe, if you're a believer, you believe in the resurrected Christ. One day, you're going to see Him. Today, you might believe that God has a plan for your life. And even though you go through trials and changes and there's all kinds of uh, hardships that, that head your way, one day you will know fully God's plan. And you will see where His hand was at work in every trial and opportunity you ever face. One day your faith will become sight. And listen to this. One day your hope will simply be your reality. What is it you hope for? What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? What is it that moves you beyond, beyond just something temporal? If it's God's love, that hope that sustains you will one day just simply be your reality. And you won't have to, have to try to get out of bed. You'll have to try to stay in bed. You'll have to try to withhold your enthusiasm because it will be pouring out as you see God for all He is. Because when you see Him for all He is, it's the one thing that you will see. It's the one thing that remains is you will see love. Why does love remain? Because God is love. And God remains. And He never changes. And when He is in your life and His love is defining you and His love is living in you, 
there's no greater joy and it will lead to the satisfaction of your soul. So let me ask you, what is the condition of your soul? Is it full? Is it overflowing with what we've seen and and what we've studied today? If not, here's what I know about you. You don't have peace. Because you were made to be full of the love of God. And until you're full of Him, you don't have peace. Write it down. Until we are possessed by God's love. I want you to think about that word possessed. So often we use it in a negative connotation like being possessed by a demon. What does it mean to be? What does it look like to be? What is it like to be possessed by God? Well, just go back and read the text we just, we just looked at. Until we are possessed by God's love, we will never have peace. This is how Augustine said it. I love this. This is so true. This is out of his confessions, out of his diary. He said to God, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. So let me ask you, is your heart resting in the grace of Jesus Christ? If not, then it's not resting. And you have no peace. And here's what I know about you if you're not resting in Christ. You are compelled to pursue something to satisfy you. So some of you are pursuing money. Some of you are pursuing power. Some of you are pursuing pleasure and, 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 and all kinds of delight. Some of you are pursuing possessions. And you think, if I can just get this item, if I can have this thing, if I can get the latest technology, I'll be satisfied. I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. You know I'm telling you the truth about you. You are compelled to pursue something because you're not satisfied. Now, being satisfied in the love of God, it doesn't make you passive. It brings you life like it was intended to be. And you find yourself living for what really matters what is true, what is real, what is strong, what endures, what bears all things, what gives you strength. So let me ask you, and make sure you know what it is. Let's go ahead and define it. Love, are you full of it? Does it define you? When people talk about you, is this what you're known for? Is this the reality you live by? 